Alright, open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I am beyond stoked to uh, begin this series. This was something that uh, when I was a sophomore in high school and I first started walking with God at, right out of the gate as soon as school year began, you know, all of us kind of made this packed this, this camp commitment that we were going to go forth to our schools and we were going to be lights. We were going to take our Bibles to school. And of course, when you take your Bible to school, you have people asking you questions. Some of you have already experienced that this year so far. And then you have some people who start to be scoffers and mocking you and they start asking you questions to try to trip you up. And after a little while, we found that, man, a lot of us as this brand new youth ministry, we don't really know what to answer them beyond just the basics beyond just the fundamentals. And some of the questions we were getting were pretty deep. And so I remember Pastor Jay, he started this class out for us sophomore year, and it just absolutely blew me away, and it completely revolutionized my walk. To the point where uh, after this class, I was never able to read the Bible the same ever again. And not only that, as we're going to see, especially with today's introduction, that really when it comes to time spent in the Bible, we really need to balance out and that there is a difference. We need to recognize the difference between reading and studying. The two are not the same. We can't just read for 15 minutes and call it studying. And conversely, we can't just study for two hours and think that we're going to get the same out of it as we do reading. There needs to be a balance of both. There needs to be a proper balance. What we're talking about today and over the course of the next however many weeks is going to be studying, putting forth some work and some effort. That's why at the bottom of your study sheets for all of these pages on your footer, you're going to see 2 Timothy 2.15. It is the highlight uh, verse of this entire study. And what does it say? Someone read it. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We can spend a whole entire day just talking about this one verse. There's so much jam-packed into it. We're called to study, to show ourselves approved unto men. No, unto who? God. Unto God. And he says, a workman. It's going to take work to study your Bible. Whereas reading, you can just simply open it up and go from left to right, top to bottom, group words together to form a sentence. That's reading. Studying takes an element of work, takes an element of effort behind it. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed. When you see that word ashamed in connection with studying your Bible, immediately your mind should go to 1 Peter 3, where he talks about being ready to give an answer to every man that asketh of the reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Whenever somebody asks you a question about the Bible, you want to be able to, with the Bible, take them and show them the answer instead of just saying, well, come to church and my pastor will tell you, or come to church and our youth leaders will tell you. You ought to be the workman so that you are ready to give an answer whenever anyone asks of you. Otherwise, you're going to be ashamed. I don't really know. I've had that happen a couple of times when I was in school. Didn't know the answer to it. And so then you get mocked and ridiculed. Oh, you love this book so much, yet you can't even answer that question for me? Happens. But don't miss the last part of that verse either. Because really, that last part of the verse summarizes what we're going to be doing with this entire class. Rightly dividing the word of truth. Now think about it for a second. 
If Paul says, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, that we are to rightly divide the word of truth, what does that by nature imply? If there is a right way to divide or cut up the word of truth, by implication there is a wrong way or wrong way. Thank you, Andy. There is a wrong way. And guys, I'm telling you what, so many Christians in so many churches are doing that today. They're taking a penknife, like in Jeremiah 36, when the king, he took a penknife and he took the words from Jeremiah, straight from God, and he starts cutting it up to try to get rid of it. But God always has a backup copy. He never lets that happen. But churches and pastors all over the place, they are making the improper divisions, and as a result of that, they end up with false doctrine because they want to be in charge instead of letting the Bible be in charge. We can't let that happen. And so lastly, as I kind of wrap up, why are we doing this now? I, when we just came off of the Second Peter study, as I've kind of mentioned to you guys already, uh, there was that one week where we talked about adding to your faith uh, virtue and to virtue knowledge. And as we talked about adding knowledge to our faith, it kind of just lent itself to the practicality of how do we study the Bible? How do we practically add knowledge to our faith on a daily basis so that we continue to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord? So that we continue to do what God has planned for us to do. And so when it comes to how to study the Bible, the other kind of subtitle that we have for this class, it's also known as the 15 Rules of Bible Study. There's one pastor, uh, he's kind of taken this class too, and he's kind of reworked it to 10 Keys of Bible Study. I really, really like how he's done that. It's still the 15 Rules, but he's condensed some of them. So if you want to go with 15 Rules or Keys of Bible Study, either way. Uh, but you want to be thinking to yourself, why Rules? Why would we have rules when it comes to Bible study? This sounds very, very religious. It sounds very pharisaical. Well, in 1 Corinthians 14, look at verse 33. Can I get a reader for that? Andy. Did you say 15? 14, 33. 14, 33, sorry. I might have said 15, but I meant 14. I think you did, yeah. Uh, for God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. Verse 33 is a key verse. You have confusion in your life? Do things and scenarios present themselves throughout the day and throughout the week where you're like, where on earth did that come from? That really derailed me. I was going good today. I, had, I got up and I was in my Bible this morning and things were going good. And then all of a sudden, something just blindsided me and I'm really confused. Like, why did that person say that to me? Or some scenario happens and you're just really, really confused. Well, just rest in this verse and knowing that God's not the author thereof. So if you're in a confusing situation right now or something confusing happens throughout the course of your day, God's not the author thereof. So who does that mean by nature is the author? Jump down to verse 40. He says, let all things be done. How? Decently and in order. If things are not done decently and in order, you will by default have confusion. We have rules in our society. We have rules here. We have rules in our schools. We have rules in your homes. Why would there not be rules when it comes to following the Bible? Because God is a God of order. He is not a God of chaos. God's book will have rules for us to follow as well. So as an introduction, look on your study sheet here. And I really want you guys to take 
30 seconds to a minute. And I want you to rate your pursuit and love of God for your life right now. Some of you may already know the answer to it, but even so, don't circle anything yet. Take about 30 seconds to one minute and think. If I had to give an account of my pursuit, my passion, my following after God, and my love for Him right now, how would I rate it on a scale of 1 to 10? Take that time. Think about it. When you have that number, circle it on your page. There's just something about putting it down on paper where you can actually see it. Why start off with a question like that? Well, very simply, the next point in your outline, when it comes to our pursuit and our love for God, there's one principle we have to get down. Is that God and His Word, the two cannot be separated. They must go hand in hand. I mean, these are a couple of crucial verses that many of you guys, you know. You know you know them. If you're involved in discipleship, you've probably even memorized some of these ones. But again, think about it in the context of your pursuit, your passion, and your love for God Himself. John 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning was the who? Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Talking about Jesus Christ. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Jesus Christ is equated as the second member of the Godhead, the Trinity, to the capital W Word. And that capital W word is the Creator in Psalm 33, verse 6 and verse 9. As he says here even in John 1. And then you go to Revelation 19.13. If John 1.1 is talking about the beginning, here's the end. Coming off our study in Revelation, this should be familiar. Revelation 19.13, And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called what? The Word of God. What's going on in Revelation 19? Well, it's Jesus, and it's towards the end of that book. So what's going on? Jack, it's the second coming. This is Christ Himself on His way back down here to declare war on this planet. You know, you're not going to turn to 2 Peter chapter 1 because we're going to dive into that passage in one of the rules here coming up in the future. But 2 Peter chapter 1 is Peter's eyewitness account of when him, James, and John were on the Mount of Transfiguration. And Jesus is up there, and he literally pulls back the cloak of his flesh and reveals his glory, his radiant light of being God himself in this human body. And they hear an audible voice that says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And Peter follows up this story you can read about in Luke chapter 9. Peter follows it up and says, Hey, even though we were right there, we saw him with our own eyes. We heard about him with our own voice, or with his voice, in our own ears. Even so, we need to trust this book over any audible voice or anything that our eyes see. That's a very important verse in Bible study. Because again, 
there are a lot of churches who want to put more emphasis on hearing an audible voice and seeing things, miracles happen that no man can explain. And they take those experiences and elevate them above the Word of God. And Peter's saying, "Uh uh-uh, it's the other way around. The Word of God has to trump any experience somebody might have in a church setting. It's very, very crucial to our understanding. Even though it was God's voice, it was God Himself speaking, Peter's saying, "Uh uh-uh, we go with this more sure word above an audible voice. Check out 2 Timothy 3.16. He says that all Scripture, that means the entire Bible, is given by inspiration of God. Anybody tell me what that word inspiration means? Specifically in this context. I know what it means generally when we use it. But you know what that word means here? It literally means God breathed. God breathed. Just like in Genesis 2-7, He breathed the breath of life through the nostrils of Adam and Eve, or Adam specifically. And it's the same way with God's Word. And it's profitable for doctrine. That's teaching. For reproof. That's showing where someone is off. For correction. That's telling them how they can get right. And for instruction in righteousness. It's for them to maintain their walk and to not go back to what they got reproved for in the first place. And go ahead and add verse 17 on your notes. I know you only have verse 16, but throw verse 17 on there too. Here's the reason why God gave us His Word to teach us all of these things. Verse 17, that the man of God may be perfect. That word means mature. Throughly furnished unto all good works. Do you want to be a man of God? Do you want to be a woman of God? Do you want to be matured and grow and to have all good works? And man, I love it. I think it's John 14 where Christ is saying that, man, the works that I do, talking to his disciples, you will do after. And he goes, and greater than these shall ye do. It's one of those verses where you read it all the time and you just kind of skip over it. But Christ himself is saying that, hey, when he goes, when he ascends up on high and gives us his spirit, we're going to do works that are greater than even he did. That boggles my mind when you think about it. Do you want to be truly furnished to do all of those things? That's what a man and a woman of God is. You can't do it apart from the Word of God. Apart from studying doctrine. Apart from reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. A couple more verses on here. This is so huge and critical. Psalm 138, 2. I will worship toward thy holy temple. He's talking about God, the person of God. And praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. Why? For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. You want to stew on that verse. How powerful the name of God is. Realize that in Philippians chapter 2, it says that one day at the very name of Christ, every knee, every knee. Think about the millions and billions and trillions of people that have ever existed on the earth throughout all of time. They are somewhere right now as we speak. They are either above the earth, on the earth, or under the earth, as Philippians 2 says. One day, Every single one of those knees will bow at the name of Jesus Christ. 
In fact, that name is so powerful, it was implemental in your very salvation. If ye shall confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, Romans 10.9 says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And yet, even so, God has magnified His word above even that very powerful name. This is no ordinary book that you have just casually sitting on your lap right now. This book has power to completely and utterly transform your life, your family, your school. You could be used in a mighty way to radically transform the lives of all of the friends you hang out with on a regular basis because of this book. And lastly, to make the connection even more so, again, a very familiar verse, for the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and the marrow, body, soul, spirit, all of us, and as a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. We're familiar with that verse. But again, God and His words cannot be separated. That's why the very next verse, verse 13, neither is there any creature that is not manifest in its sight. Because verse 12 was talking about the Word of God, so it should say, neither is there any creature that is manifest in its sight. Right? But it doesn't say that. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in His sight. But all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. Just as this book, the more that you invest it, the more that you ingest it, it starts revealing things and bringing things to the surface of the thoughts and the intents of your heart. What is the reason you're talking to that person? What is the reason you show up to church every single Sunday and Wednesday? It's because... Your parents make you? And boy, if I was living on my own, or if I had the house to myself for a week while my parents went on vacation, I probably wouldn't show up. Oh, but then they're probably going to ask me if I showed up or not. So I'm going to have to. The more you dig in this book, the more those things start to come to the surface, which is probably the reason why not many of us like digging into the book beyond just our simple reading and our simple chapter a day. Because we don't like it when that sword goes deep into the recesses of our belly and starts affecting our reins and those parts that we hide the most. You see, how you pursue and how you measure your love for God right now, it cannot be separated from the words. Getting to that towards the end here. Consequently, those who are passionately pursuing God will also be a seeker after truth. Turn over to Psalm 42. Man, if you could wake up every single morning and just start your day looking at these verses and asking yourself, is this me right now? And they'll transform the rest of your day, I tell you. If you rated your pursuit of God, your love for God Himself, more on the higher end, then this should be true of you. You should be a seeker after truth. Look at verse 1, Psalm 42. As the heart, that's a buck, it's a male deer. As the heart 
panteth after the water brooks. It longs for, it is thirsty. So panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul, verse 2, thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before him? Do you pray like that before you start your day in the Word? Do you have that heart and that mindset that you're so dry and you're so parched from the night and from yesterday's activities and everything that you were doing in school and sports and dance and music and everything? Were you so parched that you just couldn't wait to come before in quiet and in peace and spend time with your God? Were you longing for it? Does your heart in the deep recesses thereof thirst for that? Turn over to Psalm 63. He Again, he says in verse 1, if you want to add this verse to the, the list too, Oh God! It's not just, Oh, hey God! No, Oh God is, Oh God! Thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. You're a seeker after truth. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. I remember countless times feeling so alone at Perry because I didn't have anybody else from our youth that was there with me. I didn't have another brother or sister in Christ that I could go see for fellowship midway throughout the day. And so, man, there are times where I'd come home from school and this was it. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. For those of you who went to Mexico, this should be jogging back to your memory when Brian took us to that ravine where that water was completely dried up that it used to be completely full just a couple years ago. That's a picture of the world right now, but it can also be a picture of your very walk right now. Dry it up. But jump down to verse 8. Even so, regardless of how I feel, my soul followeth hard after thee. The very essence of the verb followeth hard, it implies you are in hot pursuit. You're chasing Him down. You're chasing God down. You ever have those days where you're like, man, I felt like I didn't get anything out of the Bible today? This verse implies, I am going to pursue and follow after Him until I do get something out of it. And then when I latch on to Him, I ain't letting go. That's the heartbeat behind this. Thy right hand upholdeth me. So, if you are passionately pursuing God, you will also by nature be a seeker after truth because God and His words can't be separated. That's why Proverbs 8.17 says, I love them that love me, and those that seek me early shall find me. You know what's very unique about Proverbs chapter 8? Do you know who's speaking here? There's a very specific name that is used in Proverbs chapter 8. It says, I, wisdom. Wisdom is speaking here. Wisdom is given a personification. Hmm. In the Old Testament, wisdom is speaking as though it is a person. 
Wisdom is the Word of God, and the Word of God is Christ. And he says, I love them that love me, and those that seek me early shall find me. Do you see the difference with all of these verses? There's a difference between just, all right, I got uh, 20 minutes before the bus comes or before my, I have to leave for school. All right. Uh, wow, I got three chapters done today. All right, off I go. You're spending time with him, and hey, you're getting your manna in the morning. Excellent. Nothing wrong with that. That's enough to sustain you, just as it did in Israel in the Old Testament. What we're talking about here and what studying the Bible is, is the next tier in your walk of seeking, of pursuing after, of following hard after Him. Not just... Oh, I want to word this. Be content with such things as you have. Be content with the time you spend, but, but you're not content with just three chapters a day. See the difference? I need more. Not just for up here. More on that in a second. Man, John 17, 17. Anybody know that verse out of curiosity? Jesus is praying. He says, Sanctify them. Set them apart through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Cross out uh, verse 37 of John 18 and put 38. That's my bad. You know who was a seeker after truth? <coughs> Pontius Pilate. He looked Christ right in the eye and he said, What is truth? Now that man went out immediately afterwards to the Jews and said, My hands are washed clean of this scenario. He's your problem. And he allowed Christ to be crucified. He was a seeker after truth, though. The only question is, what's your response going to be? Are you going to let Pontius Pilate be more of a seeker after truth than you? Even though, yeah... He did nothing with it. But then again, so do most of us. At least he sought after. At least he asked the question, what is truth? I want to know more about this book. I want to know how I can be used more. I want to know how I can be a more effective witness. I want to know how I could start developing my own Bible studies so that I can start sharing it with my friends or even my whole school and start a Bible study there. At least ask that question like he did and then pursue after it. He at least asked the question. Some of us are too afraid to ask the question because we're afraid of what God might do and how he might respond. So, next point. Seekers of truth that truly love God will. Point number one, read the Bible. Isaiah 34, 16 says, Seek ye out the book of the law of God and read. While Revelation 1.3 says, Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. If you're a seeker after truth, you should be reading. And guys, honestly, if you're not even doing that, you're not even at step one here. If you're not at least doing this, you might need to reevaluate what number you circled up above. Because God and His words can't be separated. And if you're a seeker of the truth, you will at least be reading it. Number two, you will then be believing or believe the Bible. That's what a seeker after truth will do. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 says, 
For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God. Well, how do I know if I received it or not? Because of how the verse ends. Which effectually worketh also in you that what? Believe. If there is not an effect that comes upon you as a result of reading God's word, you didn't believe it. You didn't. Number three. What does Psalm 119.11 say? Anyone? Louder. So what's number three? What do we use that verse for? Verse memorization. Memorize the Bible. I hesitate to use that word memorize because I don't see the word memorize show up in Psalm 119.11. But oftentimes we memorize verses in discipleship and that's all it is. We memorized it. It's in our head. That's not what Psalm 119.11 says. He says, Thy word have I hid in mine heart. If you're going to hide something, you've got to go through some, uh, some serious work in order to dig it, to get it deep down inside. Whoops, that was the next one. Uh, Psalm 37.31 says, The law of his God is in his heart. None of his steps shall slide. And the next one, I got it up here, Acts 17.11. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness in mind. But look at this. So they definitely believed it, what they read. But they also searched the Scriptures, how often? Daily. Whether those things were so. So these guys searched the Scriptures daily. And what's the verse I have down on your study sheet right before this? 2 Timothy 2.15, which says we are to study. How often are, or should you be studying? Daily. That's hard enough just to read daily. Yeah. I get it. These faithful Bereans who are more noble than those in Thessalonica. You know what's interesting? The Thessalonian church, as you read 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, they were some of the most solid churches in all of the New Testament. Yet these Bereans were more noble than they because they searched the Scriptures daily. Whew. How do I do it? Join the club. That's why we're going through this. Number five. Psalm 1-2, I love it. Talks about... Huh? Study. Handy. Psalm 1-2 talks about the same thing Joshua 1-8 does. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt... Meditate. Thank you, I couldn't read it. Meditate. I was just seeing if you guys... Never mind. Therein day and night that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Someone needs to fact check me on this. I believe this is the only verse in the entire Bible that the word success shows up. Just to fact check you, you're wrong. Pinocchios. Oh, thank you, Washington Post. Uh, good success. Yeah, I think that's the only verse. Someone can look it up later, if you know how. Right. What? I think you are correct. Oh my goodness. Quit interrupting. No, you, you provided good, good info. Thank you. But how does it do it? How do you do it? Meditating therein day and night. Meditate on the Bible. And in this very same verse, it tells you what the blank is for your next one. 
You are to obey the Bible. Number six. Obey it. Check those verses out later. And lastly, thank you, Caleb. Lastly, turn over to Psalm 119. I need seven volunteers. Jack, 48. Sammy, 30, or 97, sorry. Kendall, 113. Heather, 127. Three more. Hannah, 159. Savannah, 165. I'll take 167. You know what Acts 13, 22 says? This might be the most important rule. If there is a 16th rule, this might be the most important rule. It's the first rule. If you don't have this rule, then you're not going to get the other 15. You guys remember when we were in Revelation, we talked about the Philadelphian church age and how it said that those guys in Philadelphia, the church from 1500 to 1900, they had a certain key that opened doors that no man could shut. And it was called the key of what? David. What does Acts 13 say about David? He is the only man in all of Scripture who is a man after God's own heart. You want to be a man of God, a woman of God, truly furnished unto all good works because of this book? You need to, number seven, love the Bible. If you love God, you should love the Bible. Because the two cannot be separated. Verse 48, reader. My hands also will I lift up unto thy commandments, which I have loved, and I will meditate, meditate in thy statutes. Which I have loved. Verse 97. That's not how it's said. There's an exclamation point there, Sammy. Belt it out. Oh, how come I got it is my meditation all the day. Oh, how love I thy law. It's my meditation. How long? All the day. All the day. day and night. Day and night. Day and night. Verse 113. I hate vain thoughts, but thy law do I love. You know, if you love something, if you love someone, by default, by nature, you hate something. Don't buy into this whole junk about it's not right to hate. Proper context, yes. But if you love something, you automatically hate anything that's going to come against that. You hate it. If you love this book, you better hate, what does he say, vain thoughts? I hate vain thoughts. I hate thoughts that just creep in and that linger there and that stay there. And I just continue to let it waft there. And I just think about it more. And then those thoughts end up drifting me away from this book. And then it actually becomes an action or it becomes a word. You better hate those things if you're going to love the law of God. Verse 127. Therefore, I love thy commandments above gold, yea, above fine gold. <sighs> Hard to find a Bible-believing millionaire in this world. <coughs> Those of you thinking about college, thinking about what career you're going to do, you better evaluate your motives for doing it. You better evaluate your motives for doing it. Next verse, 159. 
Consider how I love thy precepts. Quicken me, O Lord, according to thy loving kindness. Mm. Man, what a prayer. Can you actually pray that, though? Because there's evidence of how much you actually do love your precepts. And you can actually go to God in prayer and say, Lord, consider this. Consider how much I love you and I love your word. So please help me through this time that I'm going through. 165. Great peace have they which love their law and nothing shall Heather, aren't you covering this at some point in the Bible study? Uh, or have we just talked about it a lot before? We've talked about it before. Has anyone offended you, even in this room, in your own home? <laughs> I didn't plan this, Andy. Must be of the Spirit. You all say a word, I'll kill you. <laughs> Legitimately, though. Do you get bothered and irked by people? Yes. Yes. No, 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 no. I, I'm just, I was going to say, he's like, well, maybe you shouldn't answer this. Because the Bible just says, Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. So if you get offended, and again, irked, bothered, man, they said that, and I just, I can't let it go. What does that say about your love? Verse 167. Oh, that was me. <laughs> My soul... <laughs> I'm so offended that no one's talking right now. My soul hath kept thy testimonies, and I love them exceedingly. He continue, He grows in his love for the Bible. It doesn't just stay the same. It's not just stale. There should be growth. You ever seen EKG? Everyone besides, besides Jamie? Watch a doctor show. What does an EKG do? It goes up. Yeah, it comes down sometimes, that's life, but it goes up. You know what it means when it goes up and down, up and down? It means there's life in you. You're, li you're living. You know what it means when it just goes like this? Dead. You're flatlined. You're dead. It should be growing exceedingly. So seekers of truth that truly love God, you will have all of these things. And found right there in the middle of it is studying. Now real quick, we've got to fly through these foundational truths regarding Bible study. Turn over to 2 Corinthians 11. There's only three more passages we're going to turn to, and actually probably only two, and they're right next to each other. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And before I forget to go off of point seven, for those of you who don't know, Psalm 119, it's the longest chapter in the Bible, and every single verse, either directly or indirectly, talks about David's love for the Word of God. You want to know what it is to be a man or woman after God's own heart? You will have an immense, passionate pursuit and love for the Word of God. Therefore, you cannot separate loving God from loving His Word. Foundational truths regarding Bible study as a whole. And you've got to keep these in mind as we go through this. Point number one. The Bible is not hard to understand. We make it difficult by not believing what it says. Case in point. 2 Corinthians 11 verse 1. Would to God ye could bear with me in my folly a little. 
And indeed, bear with me, for I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. Paul's talking about how much he cares for this church in Corinth. For I have espoused you to one husband, Christ, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. You don't want to be defiled by this world. You want to be defiled by talking and acting and thinking the way your friends do in this world. If you have that passion and heart like Paul did for this church, then you better pay attention to verse 3. But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety. You know what subtle means? It's not always apparent to you that you're being attacked. It might appear good even in certain circumstances. So your minds, just as so the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the what? Simplicity. Simplicity that is in Christ. Bible reading, Bible studying, it's simple. We make it difficult when we choose not to let it effectually work in us. Case in point, how many verses did Eve have to hide in her heart? Genesis 2.16. And yet, the very next chapter, Genesis 3, she's beguiled. She's attacked. She forgets easily. She's offended. Man. We got to be careful. If we make it hard to understand, that's on us. And when you go through Bible studying or you go through Bible reading, you get conflicted or you get upset, it becomes very, very easy just to chuck it and to say, what's the point? I'll just get everything I need to learn on Sundays and Wednesdays. No, because that goes against everything we just got done going through in 2 Peter 1. You have the responsibility to add to your own faith. We're here to help. But it's got to be on you because you are in a relationship with Jesus Christ personally. Not all of us collectively are in a relationship with Him. You, personally. It's your walk. You have to pursue it. You have to follow hard. You have to pant for Him. You, not us. Number two, God wrote the Bible to reveal truth to all, not hide it from common people. That's what Mark 12 says. The common people heard Him gladly. The commoners. Psalm 119, 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It reveals. And point number three. Look over at 1 Corinthians chapter 2 to your left. Point three on your outline. Only the Holy Spirit can impart truth. Now listen, how much you learn depends solely on your responsiveness to Him. Christ Himself even said it, John 14, verse 16 and 26, And I will pray the Father, and He shall give you another Comforter, that He may abide with you forever. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost. See, Here's something you're going to learn in this class. If you just read verse 16 and you're like, who the heck is the comforter? 
and you just left it at that verse? I'll be honest, you leave that verse isolated, it can be very hard to understand. But again, we make it hard by not believing and not putting forth the work. Because if you just keep reading 10 verses later, he tells you exactly who the Comforter is right there. The Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in His name, He shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. You're in 1 Corinthians 2. Look with me in verse 9. This is a critical passage to what we're going to have coming up here. As it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love Him. In other words, this is a deep book. It's impossible for us to do it on our own. Verse 10, But God hath, what? Revealed them unto us by His Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of man, save the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now, verse 12, We have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us, the Bible, which things also we speak. And we ought to be speaking the things that are freely given to us, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, Comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Understand, guys, if you want to study the Bible, you need to use the Bible. All of these rules, so to speak, that we're going to be looking at over the next 15 weeks or however, they're going to be biblical. Not, this is what this man says, this is what this pastor says, what does Google say? No. It has to come from the Holy Spirit. The natural man, verse 14, receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. That's why every time before you read your Bible, I don't care if you're studying or reading, you ought to pray to God and ask for His help. This is a spiritual book. We're fleshly beings. We need His help. Verse 16, For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that He may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. This entire passage is talking about how the mind of Christ, the spiritual things that we compare with, it's the Word of God. Now listen, any of you in here are capable of taking your walk deeper by adhering to these rules. Any one of you. But, it's only through the Spirit. So if you're not walking in the Spirit, you're not walking with God, the next 15 weeks are going to be an incredible waste of your time. Incredible waste of your time. We'll end here. Look at what the Bible says regarding seeking after truth in these days. This applies to everything that we're talking about. Amos 8, 11, verse 12. Brian even mentioned this when we were at that ravine that was dried up. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land. Not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water. You know that the Bible is compared to both bread in John chapter 6 and water in Ephesians 5, 26? No, there's not going to be a famine of that, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. 
and they shall wander from sea to sea, from north even to the east. They shall run to and fro and seek the word of the Lord and shall not find it. You ever wonder why God said, those that seek me early shall find me? Because if you don't take advantage of the time that you have now, when you don't have jobs, when you don't have families, to seek Him and to study Him, I'm just telling you, it's going to be a whole lot harder when you're older. You might not find Him. You might not get the blessings and the riches of the Word of God through studying it later in life if you don't start implementing these now. You don't start taking the time to now because a famine's coming. Just read 2 Timothy 3 to talk about this day and age in which we live. Oh, and not to mention the fact, this little prophecy tidbit. But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall be increased. Boy, you know what's interesting about that passage? We looked at this in Revelation. There's a lot of people that are just busy, 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 running to and fro, to and fro, getting knowledge to and fro. You can get knowledge from here about something all the way over there, running to and fro, and you can be increased with knowledge and not have it be anything of wisdom, discernment, and true biblical knowledge or discretion that the book of Proverbs talks about. There are a lot of distractions that will seek to try to rob you of your real knowledge quest of your real pursuit of God when it comes to studying this book. you got to be careful of what these days bring to you. Do you spend more time on your phone than you do in the Bible? If the running to and fro of just the busyness of life and devices and the knowledge that is increased, again, of, from devices, if that gets in the way of you even just getting time to read the Bible... It is certainly going to get in the way of you studying the Bible. And you'll just be stuck at adding to your faith virtue. Remember, knowledge was only the second thing out of seven to add to your faith. If you don't implement these things, you're not going to grow. Now, considering the above... And don't answer this now. Do it later. Take it home. How would you rate your desire and love for the Bible in your life right now? We're going to come back to this next week. I was going to share something, but I want you guys to answer it. And then we'll start with this next week before we hit rule number one. Consider these things. Let's pray.